Today he is climbing mountains, doing the things that Fletch does best. And so, um, in Fletch's introduction last week, uh, he said that we're going to be going through eight chapters today. And so in his introduction, he introduced us by saying, this is going to be uh, eight chapters slogging through the inheritance of Israel, uh, the, the inheritance that Israel received um, from God's promise, um, God's promised land. Um, he introduced it by saying, this is going to be us slogging through many hard-to-pronounce names of borders and cities and places and landmarks. Not a very interesting introduction. And uh, what was introduced as this wilderness um, in the Bible, a place where um, generally we find that we would skip over um, because, of these, uh, because of these long lists of names, God, of course, has hidden some things there for us Uh, some extremely important things. We don't want to miss this. This is not a place to skip over in your Bible. God is doing something amazing through these chapters. Realize after 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians, after 40 years of the Israelites walking and wandering through the wilderness, after five years five long and laborious years of fighting and conquering and driving out the Canaanites. This is it. This is what they have been waiting for. This is God's promise being delivered to them. After seeing all the many signs and wonders and miracles in their sight to prove and to foreshadow what was to come, now it is finally here. This is the moment. God's deliverance of his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and by extension to all Israel. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to skip over it in your personal readings. Let's get right into it. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for um, doing what you've done Lord, uh, you've placed your word in front of us this morning. You've placed your word in front of us at any time. It's within reach. And, uh, and God, I thank you for um, this moment, this passage that you provided to uh, give us assurance that you make do on your promises and we can trust in you in all things and in, in your holy word and in what you've promised us today. Lord, I pray Make this passage, uh, make our time together stand out um, that this would be a landmark in our lives, um, even this Sunday, even through eight chapters. Um, Lord, you are doing amazing things, and we thank you for it. Amen. Okay, so as I had stated, we're going through Joshua chapters 14 through 21. As a, as a uh, more in-depth recap, we've spent the last four months or so going through the book of Joshua. As a summary of all that happened leading up to our passage this morning, remember that God, through many great signs and wonders, had set the Israelites free from slavery to the Egyptians. It was our God that led all Israel to the, Bormis, to the borders of the promised land in a pillar of smoke and fire. He led them to the borders of the promised land, the land that he had promised Abraham's descendants would have for an inheritance more than 400 years previous to that point. God had Moses send 12 spies into the land at that point across the border to bring back a report of God's goodness. But what they instead did, um, 10 of those 12 spies brought a bad report saying, there's many cities in, the, in this great promised land that you've given us. There, there are cities with high walls. Those cities are filled with Anakites, the giants of that time. We're like grasshoppers next to them. They brought a bad report back. All the spies except for Caleb and Joshua. Remember that because the Israelites heard this bad report, um, they instead lost their trust in God's good promises and uh, ended up renouncing their inheritance at that point. God caused them to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. 
And so at that point, they said, much rather should we have died in the wilderness much on the way here, much rather should we have been stayed as slave, in, uh, in slavery to the Egyptians. Why have, have you brought us here, God, now to just kill us? So they renounced their inheritance, all but Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb. Um, remember that Moses and Aaron at this time, uh, after 40 years of walking in the wilderness, were also forbidden to cross over into the promised land. And at that time, God transfers leadership of Israel to Joshua and to Eleazar, which was uh, Aaron's son, the new priest. By command of the Lord, Joshua led all the Israel across the Jordan on dry ground and sacked the city of, of uh, Jericho. They then turned immediately and, and captured the city of Ai and then began the conquest of all of the promised land. Um, as they started sacking these individual cities, the kings of the nations and the city-states that were in Canaan started to form coalitions against Joshua and the Israelites. Um, first the central kingdoms, then the southern kingdoms, and then finally with the northern kingdoms being the greatest horde that Israel would face. Um, the Bible says that this horde was innumerable, uncountable, like the grains of sand on a seashore against 600,000 Israelites. They had chariots innumerable as well. The Israelites didn't have these things, but what they did have was their God, and their God fights for them, and this is Almighty God that I'm talking about. So God fought for Israel, and through many great signs and wonders, he destroyed all of those armies and all the hordes of the enemies. After destroying each army in turn, Joshua would then lead the Israelites to destroy the cities that those kings and armies came from. And so began the, the conquest of Canaan, the driving out of the people of Canaan, and the um, possession of the, of the Israelites of the promised land. Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, which we, were, uh, which we read a couple of weeks ago, says that Joshua left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So what the Lord commanded Moses, Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua carried it all out to the letter, relying on God to fight for Israel. Joshua took the land by force and delivered it to the tribes of Israel as an inheritance. In that same chapter, verse 23, it says, the land had peace from war, peace enough to begin distributing the territories to the tribe. And this is where our passage today begins. We, we, uh, we're reading again uh, Joshua's chapters 14 through 21. I have a, an outline prepared for us. You might not be able to see it. I guess the, the wording is rather faint. But this is what I had just gotten done talking about. You can read it from left to right. But this is all about the allotment of the, uh, to the tribes of Israel the previous four months have been uh, cruising through chapters 1 through 12. And then last week, chapter 13, uh, we hear about the allotment to the tribes east of the Jordan. These are the tribes that requested from God, hey, we, we, we're on the borders of the promised land, but boy, does this land look really great. We haven't seen what's coming, but man, we would really like to settle here. And so we heard that Reuben, Gad, and, the, and a half of the tribe of Manasseh actually settle east of the Jordan. But today, chapters 14 through 21, we're going to see the allotment to the tribes west of the Jordan. As you can see, Caleb and Joshua are not tribes, but they're members of a tribe. Caleb, the, Caleb of the tribe of Judah uh, and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. Our passage is sandwiched by these two names because uh, these two individuals had faith in God and they lived their faith out. And because of that, they receive a special inheritance. And so we'll see that as we go through. And then finally, uh, at the end of our uh, passage today, we'll read about the cities of refuge and the uh, inheritance of Levi. So that is a quick outline of what we're going to be covering. As I said, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, there, there are a few storylines mixed in. I'll get into some of those, but uh, for the expedience of time, I, I may decide to skip over one or two. Um, but again, for your personal reading time, these are hidden gems. These are oases in this wilderness of names. 
So I really encourage you to read through them uh, in your own time. Our main points for today are that God fulfills his promise. He's actively doing this uh, throughout this passage and even today. Not only that, God's promises are conditioned on faith. The Israelites didn't just receive their inheritance, but they had to actually have faith that they would. And so God's promises are conditioned on our faith. And then we too have received an inheritance if we believe in God. So those are our main points that I've woven throughout this sermon. All right, well, let's get right to it. Starting off in Joshua chapter 14. Um, If you have your Bibles, please turn to there now. Verses 1 through 5. It says, These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan with Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribe of of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them, For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. All right, so this this opening up Uh, passage, these first five verses, they talk about an inheritance. So what was the inheritance? Genesis chapters 15, 26, and 28 detail this. It's God's promise that he made, the covenant that he made with Abraham uh, first, then with Isaac and Jacob, that is Israel. God promises to Abraham, uh, Abraham after 400 years of bondage, his offspring, offspring would be given the land of the Canaanites, Uh, Moreover, that land was described in detail several times leading up to this point. I've got a a map of this this land that God promises. Um, The borders, as I said, were kind of faint, but you can kind of see it traces along here all the way up through. I think I'm tracing it, but my vision is rather poor. It's this area right here. And then come to find out a large portion on the east side was also set aside as requested by those two and a half tribes. So this is God's promise. His offspring would be given the land of the Canaanites. So the map on the screen is, a pro- is an approximation of what God promised. Um, recognize me- millennia have taken place um, since this time that we're reading about in the Bible. So those, those lands and those borders are kind of in a rough approximation of what uh, God's promise was. Um, continuing in God's promise to Abraham at that time, he says, your offspring will multiply and be like stars in the heaven. And from this promised land, your offspring will spread in all directions to the north, to the east, and to the south, and to the west. And that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by them. This was God's promise to Abraham. And why? Why did God make this promise to Abraham? It says it was because of Abraham's obedience. Abraham turned to the Lord. Abraham had faith that God would deliver in his promises. And because of that, Abraham was blessed forever onward. And so now are we. So who is receiving this inheritance? Obviously Israel, the descendants of the sons of Jacob, of Isaac, and of Abraham. But who is Israel at this point? Remember that Moses' generation all fell dead in the wilderness in those 40 years that they were cursed following the bad report of the spies and them um, losing their faith in God. So all of Moses' generation fell dead. This meant that everyone 20 years and older fell dead in the wilderness, all besides Moses, Aaron, Eleazar, Caleb, and Joshua. All Israel at this point, as they were receiving their inheritance, 
um, were around the age of 59 or younger. And then those five names that I just named, um, they're probably in their 80s or older. And so that's kind of the demographic of Israel at this time. Their leaders, of course, as I said, Moses and Aaron were forbidden from crossing over into the promised land. They can only see it. Um, So their leaders at the time were Joshua and Eleazar the priest. Uh, Likely, um, their numbers were roughly around uh, what was done in the second census, which puts the Israelites right around 600 and 1,730 people. So this is Israel. This is where the inheritance is, it was to be passed. In those same five verses that we just read, how was the Israelite inheritance distributed? The land had to be divided. It had to be divided evenly and distributed to all the families. It, everybody was to receive an inheritance um, out of God's promise. And because it had to be divided evenly, the Israelites were not to settle wherever they liked. Um, understand that they, in their conquest, were conquering major headquarter cities of the Canaanites at that time. These cities were massive, some of them literally massive, because they housed giants. These cities were epicenters of trade and commerce. These cities were epicenter, epicenters of academia, um, of art, of architecture. These are the cities that they, uh, that they were settling in. But they weren't able to settle wherever they liked. If they were able to settle wherever they liked, they'd probably congregate around those cities. But then that would leave a lot of the land unoccupied and unsettled. And not everybody would receive an inheritance, let alone even an equal inheritance to their brother or to their sister. So imagine these Israelites, they get into the promised land, they start squabbling over the choicest bits of land, whereas the wilderness areas may, may have remained empty. If the land was unconquered, uh, I'm sorry, if the land was conquered but left un- unoccupied, it would likely be retaken by the peoples that were driven out or by neighboring nations, or it may become overpopulated with wild beasts that would prevent occupation at a later date. So when the conquest is over at a time of peace, that land that was left unoccupied would um, be filled with wild beasts and prevent settlers and families from going there. So everybody had to receive an inheritance. Everybody had to accept their lot in life. Joshua, Eleazar, the priest, and one leader were chosen by God to allot the land, to distribute the land. Not everybody was included in this allotment. Uh, in in the dealings of this allotment. Uh, Only the leaders of the tribes were present to supervise the distribution and ensure fair dealings. At this time, uh, they met at the Israelite war camp in Gilgal. This is important because um, we'll see in a a little while their camp actually transfers into the promised land. So for this distribution, again, it wasn't left by chance. God said, you will cast lots. I have a slide about casting lots. This is a depiction of what it could look like. Um, The Bible doesn't give an accurate description uh, of what casting lots really is. Casting lots, they could have thrown um, shaped bone shards down. They could have used marked rocks. They could have drawn sticks. Um, At this point, it's unclear exactly what casting lots Uh, really looked like, um, but I found this image and thought it would be clear um, for you to kind of give an understanding of what that is. This casting lots was to be accomplished by priests for determining the Lord's final decision in a matter. Understand, this is only, casting lots was only used when God directed it to be so or when all the other methods of discerning God's will were exhausted. So only when God directs it specifically, or only when all other methods were exhausted without an answer from God. A quick parenthesis, you might be asking yourself, well, can we cast lots today? Is that something that we can do? Can I make a financial decision or a spiritual decision by rolling the dice? And God is sovereign, right? So he ought to be able to deliver me a good answer on that when I cast lots in in making this decision. 
Is it a good thing for us to do that today? The answer is no. We've been given, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You need no more teaching except that which the Holy Spirit gives you. But God in his sovereignty has given you teachers uh, even, even on top of that. We can discern God's will if we rely in prayer on the Holy Spirit. We don't need to roll the die anymore. Close parentheses. So uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. In allotting the land and distributing the land, this isn't by chance. None of these decisions and none of these inheritances fell by chance. It was all from the Lord because he said, do this. If it was by chance, it would look a lot different, I think. Thanks for putting up the slide. If it were by chance um, and we were to go through and name off all these cities, they'd be rolling a 12-sided die every single time they come across a city or across a landmark or a border. This is a depiction of what that might look like. Notice how all the tribes are distributed. There's some tribes that are cut off um, from, from other sections of the same tribe. Um, if this were to be the case, when Joshua and Caleb were to receive their inheritance, they might have received a city like Hebron and be completely far away, separated from their tribe. This was not meant to be. Rather, um, because God influences the lots, this is what it turned out to be. Again, the lines are rather faint, but you can see that God co-locates all those cities within the tribal borders. It's a lot more accurate the, the lines are not fuzzy, they're not hazy, they're not crossing over one another. It's all as God would, would have wanted at that time. So this is, what, this is what was actually given, or God's actual intent for it to look like. So prior to the allotments, however, like I had already said, some lands and cities had been set aside to not be included in the casting of allotments. Um, because of Caleb and Joshua's faith, they were given special inheritance, um, a city and their surrounding countryside. To Caleb, Caleb was the main warrior uh, uh, of the tribe of Judah. And it says in um, chapter 10 of Joshua that he stepped up and conquered and drove out the Anakites from the city of Hebron. Hebron was the capital city of these giants. And Caleb stepped up and took it. And so to Caleb, God uh, delivered that city um, for him. Uh, what an amazing trophy, a war trophy. Those same giants that caused hundreds of thousands of Israelites to die in unfaithfulness, Caleb claimed and God gave him as his own war trophy. What an excellent, what an excellent inheritance. And by extension, Part of the land that Caleb got uh, included the city of Debir. We read about that a little later in chapter 14. Um, the city of Debir and the surrounding countrysides, the Negeb. Um, he gave, uh, he, he promised to a warrior, a hero, that would conquer that city. He said they would have the honor of marrying his daughter, Axaw. And so, lo and behold, his brother's son, Othniel, later to be a judge of Israel, the first judge of Israel, steps up and conquers the city of Debir, which was about eight miles to the southwest. Um, and he and Othniel gets the honor of, of marrying Caleb's um, daughter. At that same time, you'll read that uh, um, Caleb's daughter finds that when she receives her wedding gift of Debir and the surrounding countryside, that the land didn't actually have any water in it. And so she makes a request of Caleb, Father, can you add to, to my inheritance, can you add to this great gifts that you've given me on my wedding day, both the upper and the lower springs? And that was well within his power to do so because God had given them. And so he did. And what a great wedding gift. Joshua also received a specific inheritance that was to be set aside from this casting of lots. He received the city of Timnath-Sefer, which is um, a little bit northward. 
and he also receives the surrounding lands. But aside from these um, cities that were set apart, all the rest of the lands were, of the promised land was given by lot to the remaining nine and a half tribes. So going again to the outline uh, slide, we've just covered chapter 14, and we're heading into 15. So uh, we see that uh, at this point, uh, Judah, Joseph, and Benjamin received their inheritances within several chapters. Um, And uh, in chapter 17, so this goes off without a hitch. There's no storylines here except for when we get to the half-tribe of Manasseh down there at the bottom. There is a uh, storyline added to that um, concerning the daughters of Zelophadad. Um, uh, This man was one of those that died in the wilderness because of his lack of faith. His daughters said of him to Moses, my dad, he, they, my dad our dad, they, he passed away because of his sins in the wilderness. And so they approach Moses saying, well, what becomes of us? If everybody else receives an inheritance, but we don't, what happens to us and our families? We are to be married to other tribes and our inheritance is to be given to them instead of to us. So what? What do we do? Please seek the Lord for us to, give, to get an answer from the Lord. And that's exactly what Moses did. Um, Moses approaches God and God heard their plea and commanded that they be given an inheritance along with the sons of Zelophadad's brothers. And so you see these five daughters, these five women, were elevated to the father's stead and inherited along, a, a same inheritance along with their father's brothers. And they did so in faith. This was promised to them back in Numbers, um, in the book of Numbers. They did so in faith. They saw the land get conquered, and in faith they went to Joshua and said, God promised us this. Can you make this happen for us? And it happens. But that was a, the, their inheritance was received conditionally. God said that they could only marry amongst the men of the tribe of Manasseh lest their inheritance eventually be taken by another tribe. So just as God fulfilled his promise to them, they fulfilled theirs, and they did end up faithfully marrying into their their own tribe. So before continuing with the allotments to the rest of the tribes, we read about two more events at the end of chapter 17 and into chapter 18. This is... This is an oasis. If this, if this passage was a wilderness, this would be the oasis in the wilderness. We read about how the tribe of Joseph also approaches Joshua at this point. The, uh, the tribe of Joseph has already been given their inheritance at this point, um, but they want more. They say, God has blessed us. Look, we've grown, we've flourished since the time of the, in the, in the, over the past 40 years, we did not only need more of an inheritance, but we deserve more. Joshua turns that right around, as you'll read, and he says, no, you've, the, the lots have been cast, the lot has been fallen. Now, what I will say, though, is that you have this giant forest that you have yet to even explore. Knock the forest down and build houses for yourself out of it. Um, to this, Joseph, uh, the tribes of Joseph, I should say, not Joseph himself, um, to this they retort and saying, we can't get to those forests because the land is filled with Canaanites and these Canaanites have iron chariots and they are more numerous than us. Did they not just see like the entire land be conquered? And here they are requesting, they've been granted their inheritance, they've been given their inheritance, and now they want more, but they're not willing to go those extra steps and to take it for themselves. So too, is this the same for us today? What blessings are we overlooking today by setting our sights on what doesn't belong to us? We need to realize that we've already received so much from the Lord. He's given us so much already that it takes an eternity for us to fathom. How immeasurable is God's love for us? Let us probe these depths and find these great treasures that he's hidden instead of discounting them and asking for something else and asking for more. 
He's already given us so much. If only Joseph were to have realized that. Joshua ends up turning the tribes of Joseph back around and saying, no, you can and you will conquer those or you won't receive the inheritance that's been given to you. God already gave the inheritance. It was theirs to take, but they lacked the faith in so doing. So also at this point um, in this oasis, uh, the tabernacle is moved from the temporary camp at Gilgal. This is chapter 18. It's moved from the war camp at Gilgal to its permanent location at Shiloh. It will stay at Shiloh for at least four four decades thereafter. Um, With this movement of the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle is is the tent of meeting, the tent of the Lord. Um, This is the Lord's dwelling place amongst the Israelites. They move it symbolically from a war camp to the heart. Shiloh is at the heart of the territory of Israel. And so it's very symbolic. All the Israelites, all the tribes of Israel gather to celebrate this coming of God into the promised land. It is God's seal. I've delivered it to you. And now let me move into it and dwell in it with you. Please just obey my commands. When the celebrating was over, though, um, we read on. Joshua notices that seven tribes had yet to receive their allotments. As I said, only Judah and Joseph have been covered so far. So there still remained seven that had not received their inheritance. Chapter 18, verse 3, Joshua says to the remaining tribes, How long will you be slack to go out and possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given to you? Joshua, to, so to do this, Joshua commissions three men from each tribe at that point from each of the seven tribes to go out and to survey the rest of the land that, had, that was remaining, that hadn't been allotted. Those uh, three individuals from all those seven tribes, those 21 individuals, were to survey the land and bring back another report. Understand, their mission was not to spy out the land, that, uh, similar to what we hear about in Moses' time. These, their mission wasn't similar to uh, the, the, the 12 spies that Moses sent. Their mission was to survey the land, to see how good God's promises were. God's promise was so great. And so they would be able to set their eyes on it and bring back such a good report that it would enliven their tribes to go and get their inheritance. This was yet another gift that God gave them. Go, send out people from your tribe. Get excited, plan, survey the land, Divide it into seven different territories for you to occupy and then come back to me so that we can cast lots to see which ones, uh, who would get which, which allotment. So that's exactly what they did. They brought back an excellent report. Um, it was their goal because there was three people from each tribe. They divided the land into seven, seven portions, but they didn't know which one was going to fall to their tribe. And so you can assume that they wanted to do it as evenly as possible um, so that each tribe were to receive an even inheritance with, one, with among, uh, one another. So from this story, would we also taste and see how good our Lord is? We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit if we believe in Jesus Christ. We have Christ indwelling in us. Would we taste and see that the Lord is good? Would it build this zeal? Would it build this excitement as this did for those, uh, for those 21 persons sent out to spy out the land? Survey what he has done for you. And in that, may your joy be full. So back to the overview slide, which is up on the board. Um... We've just cruised through chapter 18. Chapter 19 is uh, those, those, uh, the good report comes back and easily they're able to cast all those lots right in order. Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan uh, pass without, uh, without any storyline, without any question. Very, very quickly, all in the same chapter. And then finally, after all this is done, all the nine and a half tribes are settled with their inheritance. 
the tribes, the people of Israel turn around and they give Joshua his special inheritance. Joshua was first. And he was given his inheritance last. After all the tribes got their inheritance, uh, though the inheritance was allotted, we need to realize um, a lot of work still had to be done. If you can change the slide to the next, to the map. Um, this was the inheritance that they, were, uh, that they received, as we've already seen. You see all the outlines are, are very well traced. However, um, next slide. This is actually a depiction of what had been conquered up to that point. And so though they had received the God's promised land, they hadn't, they hadn't fully uh, written, taken it yet. A lot of work uh, had to be done. A lot of land was yet to be conquered. Um, but here we need to see uh, the difference between faith and doubt because it's this difference that spells the history and the trajectory of Israel um, as it tries to acquire God's good promises. We hear about Caleb's faith when he was conquering the city of Hebron. Caleb says, I am but one man against giants, but if the Lord is with me, I will have success and he will deliver this land to me. That's Caleb's faith statement. The tribes of Joseph made an opposite statement. They made a doubt statement in receiving their inheritance, as we've already discussed. The tribes of Joseph say, we are many, so we need more inheritance, but they have chariots of iron, so we cannot cast them out. Notice this difference between a faith statement and a doubt statement. Caleb was faithful in acknowledging that God was going to deliver and has already been delivering on his promises. Joseph saw that God's promises had been delivered up to that point, but still were doubting. This, this discussion, uh, this, this contrast between Caleb and his faith statement and the tribes of Joseph and their doubt statement is magnified all the way across Israel. However, unfortunately, even though God promised, promised to all and proved to all of Israel that he was doing, uh, that he was fulfilling his promise, those that had faith went out and conquered and took what was theirs, whereas those that lacked faith or obedience did not receive at all or received much later. They received their inheritance much later. So let's flash forward. Much of the land was not still remained untaken uh, into the time of the kings. So uh, this is past the book of Judges. Um, Saul, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon come on, and uh, those, those kings and leaders were uh, faithful to the Lord to an extent, uh, David and Solomon most specifically, and you see that God extended their, the, the borders out to the edges of the promised land and even further. Um, but a quick, uh, that, that's what happens later. What happens directly after our passage in Joshua, uh, we get into the book of Judges after a few more chapters. The first four chapters of the book of Judges detail why this happened, why they were not able to um, drive out the, the Canaanites. The first four books of Judges say, generally, the generation of conquerors died without driving all the Canaanites out of the land. They also failed to raise their children collectively to know and to love the Lord as they were commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, love the Lord your God. Speak about his great promises and his commandments. Teach your children. Write them on your doorposts. They failed to do this. And so when they all, when that whole generation of parents passed away, their children didn't know the Lord. The children didn't know the promise. So they settled down where they were and they intermarried with the Canaanites that were left in the land, giving themselves to their household gods. They ceased being a people after God. And so the land remained much like what is depicted right here. Probably the worst case of all that I've read uh, comes in Judges chapter 18. So this is 18 chapters later. 
It says, in those days, the Danites, the tribe, that is the tribe of Dan, were seeking for themselves an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Their inheritance was given. It was already there. But 18 chapters later, this is four decades later, still they had not gone out and gotten their inheritance. Later on, you read that the Danites, instead of going and getting what they're were, uh, going and getting and receiving their promised land, they end up migrating all the way to the north, uh, almost to the very borders, uh, and even across the very borders of the promised land, and and conquering that area. That's not what God promised, but they did it anyways because they didn't know any different. They had forgotten God's promise to them. They had forgotten about their their inheritance. So what would this look like today? It would probably be like if you were to inherit a mansion from your uncle that had just passed away. So you inherit a mansion from him. All you have to do is to drive out to the mansion, clean it up a little bit, and it's yours. But instead, you decide it would be best for you to stay in your brother's mansion in a room, in a small room in the corner of your brother Judah's mansion. And you do that for 40 years. You party hard for 40 years with your brother, living off of him, living off of his resources. You forget about your inheritance. You forget that your uncle gave you such a great inheritance that you forget you have a mansion of your own on your own property. So four decades later, you may finally come to your senses and realize that you know, there's a world out there and that, uh, that God is good. And uh, at that point, you might uh, decide to leave your brother's mansion. Um, but instead of going to your own, you make another poor decision. You decide to build a shack way out in the wilderness next to a crummy pond. I mean, this is, this is very similar to what we're, what we're reading about. You forget that you have been giving an, given an inheritance. So at this point, we transition to uh, all the tribes have been uh, given their inheritance. And the final two chapters of our passage this morning, um, chapter 20, God details uh, what to do about these cities of refuge. If you don't know what a city of refuge is, uh, God first talks about this in Exodus chapter 21 as the Israelites were leaving uh, Egypt. He starts laying down the, the, the major laws and he says, um, I know you Israelites, I know that you are human, and I know that when you start settling in this land that I'm going to give you, that you're going to start rubbing shoulders with one another. And that, that rubbing shoulders is, is going to potentially result in sin. Um, you might accidentally hurt or kill um, a brother or a sister, um, accidentally, of course. And if that's the case, um, I know it's also part of the law that an avenger of blood um, will come after any murderer. And so um, you are to run to a place that I designate for you, and you are to stay in this place, this city of refuge, um, until you're given a fair trial. The avenger of blood cannot come after you into this city and, to, and kill you for, for this accident that you've committed. So once you undergo a trial and are found uh, guiltless, blameless for the murder, that it truly was an accident, um, you must still remain in that city of refuge until the, the high priest at that time passes away, at which point you are able to then return to your tribe. So, uh, and, and after that point, of course, the, the avenger of blood is done away with. Um, after the trial, after the death of the high priest, um, you've been found blameless. And so if the avenger of blood were to continue to pursue you after that time, then he is the murderer. He is the one in the wrong. And, and so then it would pass to him. But that's not the way that God had it. So God, set, God demanded that um, six cities of refuge be set aside, three east of the Jordan. Um, as you can see up on the map, they're starred, and three west of the Jordan. 
Um, God also details um, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 8 through 11, that contingent on Israel's faith in taking all of the land that God promised, he would deliver an, uh, an additional three cities of refuge. Um, I don't know if this ever happened. I didn't get that far in my studies. But uh, a total of nine cities of refuge if Israel was uh, to remain faithful. Understand that these cities are widely dispersed. They're not really kind of close together. Maybe if, uh, maybe um, the, the two across the top um, are a little closer. But this is for a, a very good reason. It's so that anybody has access to these cities um, at any given time. They're only so far away so that just in case you can run to them uh, at a moment's notice. This is important as we get into the next chapter when we talk about the Levitical allotments as well. But compare this chapter, again, it's just a chapter about talking about cities. It, these cities have been talked about multiple other times in the Bible. Why are we reading it again? But compare this chapter to um, what our lives are like today. It's our present situation now. Even though we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even though we sin moment by moment, God has prepared a place for us. The devil, always the accuser, in this case the avenger of blood, he accuses us of our sin. He knows what we've done, and he comes after us. After us. The Bible says it, that the devil prowls like a lion looking for someone to devour. Yet we're protected as long as we're found in Christ. As long as we make it to our city of refuge, we're protected. Our city of refuge today is Christ. As long as we're found in Christ, we need not fear our accuser, the devil, the avenger of blood in this case. Then when we are brought to judgment, when we're brought to our own trial, we are found innocent because of the blood of Christ. Because we're found innocent, the accuser is cast off and can never accuse us again. He's not going to wait until we're out of the city to continue to pursue us. He's not going to wait to the death of the high priest. He can't because our high priest has already died and God resurrected him. And now he sits at the, at, the, at the foot of the Father in heaven for all eternity. Our priest has died already and is risen again. And so we can stay in his protection. Unlike this case with the Israelites, the Israelites were able to go back to their, um, the, their tribal lands once the great priest, had di- or the high priest had died. We have no need for that. Our priest has died, but why would we want to return to our old lives? Why would we want to return to our, our past lives when um, the Lord himself dwells within us, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, when we have been given our own inheritance and how great that inheritance is? Why would we want to return? So again, God has hidden some massive oases in this wilderness. Finally, concluding our passage this morning, um, the Levitical allotments are given in um, chapter 21. Uh, God commanded that the Levites would not receive an inheritance like the other tribes. They were not to be given land like the other tribes, but that the Lord himself would be their inheritance. The Levites were priests. They were servants of the Lord in the tabernacle. Instead of being given land, they were uh, given 48 cities scattered throughout the entire promised land. They were given for their families and uh, for their families to live and for um, the uh, sacrificial animals to be pastured. Um, of note, this include, these 48 cities include all the six cities of refuge, interestingly enough. And then many of these 48 cities were very great. Um, the city of Hebron, which we've talked about, uh, was Caleb's inheritance. Caleb ends up giving it as both a city of refuge and a Levitical city. Um, he decided instead to dwell in the surrounding countryside where the giants had dwelled. So he probably chose the, the, the home of um, one of these giants to live in. 
Hebron was set on a mountain, and so literally, as his inheritance, he got a mountain. Why does he need a city with that mountain? So he gives away the city of Hebron, the capital of these giants, as a city of refuge, as a beacon to those people groups that are the, to the tribes around him, and as a Levitical city. Debir, the city that he gave Caleb, uh, that Caleb gave it to his daughter, and to Othniel, his his now step. Uh, Son-in-law, uh, he uh, is also given as a Levitical city. Gibeon, which we heard about, the Gibeonites tricked the Israelites into uh, allowing them to serve um, Israel and to serve uh, Israel's God instead of conquering and driving them out. The city of Gibeon um, was given over as a Levitical city. Interestingly enough, the city of Gibeon is filled with Gibeonites. It's filled with Canaanites. These, uh, how, how fitting is it that it also becomes a city of uh, a Levitical city where priests dwell right alongside this, this people group that had never known the Lord God? Well, now they're going get to a, get a really good taste of him. And another interesting thing about this is that Shiloh, which is the new dwelling place of the tabernacle, wasn't ever mentioned. It's not one of the 48 cities. You'd think that... Um, of all the places for the Levites to be found, that they would be found at the capital city of Shiloh, the spiritual capital at that time of the promised land. That they would all be there, headquartered at that city. But God did this. God spread the, Le- the Levites, the priests, out amongst all the, the tribes of Israel around uh, all the allotments for a reason. And for us today, that reason is this. God never puts spiritual guidance too far away from us. Every tribe had several cities that had priests in it, so that spiritual guidance was always there and waiting for them. Forgiveness of sins was always there, waiting for them. Sacrificial animals in these pasture that were kept in these pasture lands of these cities were there. They were thriving because of because God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey to to, to be put to pasture to. God made these sacrificial animals plentiful so that at a moment's notice, if anybody were to be found with sin, that they can be forgiven and that they can seek reconciliation in God. And so too is it the same for us. God dwells in us if we believe in his son in whom he sent. God is never too far away. He is within us. But then also he places us amongst brothers and sisters here. And out in the world, we're never too far away from people that can help us and to spiritually guide us. So the promised land was allotted to the tribes of Israel. This was to fulfill the first part of the promise God made to Abraham, that the land he walked was to be given to his descendants out of the hands of the Canaanites. God promised that if Israel lived in obedience to God and loved him, that he would be their God and he would dwell with them and walk amongst them in the land he gave to them. He promised land, or the promised land was to be a launching point for the fulfillment of the rest of God's promises. I give you this promised land, at which point I will multiply you. You will spread to all the directions, to the north, the east, the south, and the west. And then through you, all the nations will be blessed. The, the promised land was a, a, a launching point for the rest of his promises. And notice how God starts to fulfill his promise. In the time of Jacob, uh, as the Israelites went uh, under captivity to the Egyptians, a little more than 70 people were there. Leaving 400 years uh, later, 600,000 Israelites cross over. So 70 to 600,000 in 400 years. And then two millennia later today, two billion people across the world, roughly a third of the world's population claim Christianity. God surely is fulfilling his promise that Jacob's descendants would become more numerous than the stars. And finally, through the death and resurrection of God's son, Jesus Christ, God surely has blessed every nation on earth already. So what is our inheritance today? We certainly don't own a plot of land in Israel, at least I don't, maybe one of you do. But uh, that being the case, 
we find in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, uh, and I've rendered it a little bit to make it a little bit more clear for you. When you heard the gospel and believed in Christ, you obtained an inheritance and were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have heard a lot of that language in our passage this morning. Inheritance, guarantee, sealing, acquiring possession, believing in Christ, obtaining. If we are in Christ, we are guaranteed an inheritance as evidenced by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Father has qualified you individually and corporately. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the same Spirit that we just read seals us for our inheritance as a guarantee. This same Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of what? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provide we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So our our inheritance is God's love. It's Christ Jesus. It's life abundant now, in the present time. It's life eternal. It's this inexpressible joy that you have if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's God's very great promises. It's victory over sin. The list goes on and on. When God blesses you, he doesn't just bless you. He blesses you in completeness. When God gives you life, he doesn't, gives you, he doesn't just give you life. He gives you life eternal. And so much more. This, inter- this inheritance, though, is not something we have achieved of our own will. Um, back to that verse in Ephesians, it says, We are guaranteed an inheritance until we acquire possession of it. This inheritance is not something that we've achieved of our own will. God said to the Israelites in Joshua chapter 24, I'm giving you a land on which you have not labored. You haven't done a thing for this, but I'm giving you a land on which you didn't labored. Uh, You didn't plow it. You didn't sow the fields. The cities you have, you didn't build. The fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards, which you now own, you didn't plant, you didn't cultivate. Somebody else did that for you but I give it to you as a gift. God says to us today, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, it is a gift from God, not a result of works so that none can boast. We didn't earn this. We didn't determine or acquire our own inheritance. It fell to us by God's grace in sending his son to die for us. So much like the Israelites um, had work to do, in pushing out those borders to receive the full promise that was given to them, to receive their full inheritance. We have work today as for us in our own lives as well. We can't just, when we receive Christ, sit and wait. Well, we can. I don't recommend it. Because again, God has filled this promise to us with so much more. Deuteronomy chapter 6 details what we are to do in this time that God has given us left on this earth. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then our Lord Jesus emphasized this by placing this command above all others. In the book of Matthew, he repeats, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Without love for the Lord, what can we do? What are we able to accomplish? What are we able to, to, to conquer? What are we able to receive? Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Your salvation, your inheritance, this great and undeserved gift of mercy and grace. Don't cast it aside. Take it, explore it with reverent fear and trembling for amazing things God has hidden in it for you. 
God also told the Israelites, you need to put to death everything that breathes when you're conquering the land. You need to put them to death or you need to drive it out so that the land can be made pure from the sins of the Canaanites. So too, God has instructed us to put certain things to death. In Colossians chapter 3, God says, put to death therefore that which is earthly within you. And then there's a long list. Put it to death. You've been given this land. Purify it. Put to death therefore that which was, is earthly earthly within you, slanderous talk, uh, uh, malice, anger, the list goes on and on, put to death. We must tend to our hearts in the same manner. Our battleground, unlike the Israelites, is spiritual. It's inside and all around us. We must put these things to death or drive them out of ourselves so that we can fully receive the inheritance that we've been given today. In 2 Peter, uh, God continues that list and says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom, that is the inheritance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally in Romans chapter 12, this one is much longer and I won't read through it all, but it's another list, 9 through 21. Verses 9 through 21 says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. I know I'm going very fast right now, but as you can see, there's a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work in front of us, even though we've been given this inheritance. However will we do it all? However will we get all this work done? Understand that just as God fought for Israel, God goes before us. God goes before you in this. The Lord wills to fight for you just as he did for the Israelites. He is truly a good father. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God doing this work. We have work to do. It isn't to earn our inheritance. That's already been set aside for us. It's already been given. It's already there. All to the praise of God. We are to acquire possession of it. By Jesus' death on the cross, it is truly finished. So in conclusion, our passage ends similarly to how it began. The last three verses of Joshua chapter 21 say, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of the enemies that withstood them were able to do so, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. This is the God that we serve. He said we have obtained an inheritance of eternal life. If we believe in his son Jesus, we have attained this inheritance. And eternal life we surely have, for all his promises come to pass. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, even though I sped through so much of it this morning and we covered so much, Um, God, that you have hidden um, these great wonders um, for us to understand and to have assurance um, in your good salvation and your great gifts which you've laid up for us. If we would but choose to, to take Christ as our Savior and if we would but choose to suffer alongside of him just as he suffered for what little Uh, life we have, 
left in this earth, God, that we may acquire our possession and praise you for all eternity. Thank you, God, would you drive these points home that you have made promises directly to us, but that we, our promises, these promises are conditioned on our faith in you. And may we have more and more of it, Lord. Would you pour faith into us that we can acquire our full inheritance, that which you've given us to the fullest. And may our joy be full in it, so much so that your light pours through us to the communities around us. I thank you, God, that you have made this happen. And it wasn't because of us. It wasn't because we were great. It wasn't because we were righteous. It's because of your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for all this, for knitting us together as brothers and sisters in this family at Emmanuel, and for bringing other brothers and sisters into the fold around us, um, all because of you and for you and for your great pleasure and for your great glory. Thank you, Lord. All praise and honor are yours, truly, forever. Amen.